giving birth during COVID-19. Welcome to SBH Bronx Health Talk, produced by SBH Health System and broadcast, at least remotely for now, from the beautiful studios at St. Barnabas Hospital in the Bronx. I am Faith Daniel. It's normal for you to feel an array of emotions, joy, excitement, worry, as your due date approaches, but birthing during a pandemic adds an undescribable layer of anxiety. There are concerns about being in the hospital setting, having support while birthing, and questions about how to keep you and your infant safe, especially for mothers of color in underserved communities like ours in the Bronx. With studies currently taking place on the impact of COVID-19 on pregnant women and infants, little is yet known about mother to infant transmission. Here with us today is Dr. Mark Rosing, SPH's Chair of Obstetrics and Gynecology to discuss the initiatives SBH Health System has taken to support birthing mothers at this time and provide insight in how to keep safe. Welcome, Dr. Rosing. Thank you very much, Faith. I'm glad to be here. Yay. And I also just want to thank you so much for your support and working with patients like you are truly one of our healthcare heroes. (laughs) I think everyone that works in this place is a hero. Yeah. So I want to like um, jump right in and talk a little bit about um, what SBH is doing um, and comment a little bit on the worry that pregnant people have right now. It is totally understandable for them. Um, so I guess if we could start by talking about like what are some of these worries that pregnant people have and should they be worried about giving birth in the hospital? Well, wow, there's a lot of questions there and a lot of things to discuss. No, I think patients should feel comfortable that they can get safe care here and at wherever they're delivering. There's certainly a lot of changes in the experience, and we try to minimize that and try to maintain the very special magical experience of childbirth and the entire pregnancy. Some things are just a lot different now. There are certainly preparations that you can do and decisions you can take to try to make things as safe as they can, and we try to help our patients along with those decisions. And how can moms best prepare? I know you mentioned kind of you guys would help walk them through that. Are there any specific questions they should be asking you or should they be having a different birth plan? Well, first of all, I think it's really important just to maintain the connection to your clinicians, to your OBGYN or your midwife, or if you have a doula, you know, make sure that you're getting answers to your questions. Make sure that you're keeping all of your appointments, even if they're not face-to-face. We've really strived to change our model, and we're not seeing our patients face-to-face, at least physically face-to-face, but we are seeing our patients face-to-face using audiovisual connections. So it's really important to maintain the same schedule and keep all of your appointments and just stay in touch. In terms of coming to labor and delivery, you know, we'll, we talk you through it, and we have taken a bunch of steps, which I'm sure we'll go into, that we can offer to try to make this situation as safe as it can be for you and your baby and your significant others. Right. So let's go into that a little bit more. What are some of the COVID-related safety protocols that are being put in place right now in labor and delivery? Well, first of all, we're trying to decrease everyone's exposure to the virus. Obviously, the patients, the pregnant moms, their babies, their significant others when they're here, and the healthcare workers. So there's a lot of people that are around, and we're trying to minimize the exposure. Just like when you go to the grocery store, we're trying to do the social distancing. We're making sure that everybody's wearing masks. 
we're actually now testing all of our pregnant patients when they come in in labor or for their delivery. So we know their status. Um, and it's not that we treat patients that are positive any differently. We just kind of are extra special careful. We treat everyone as if they're potentially infected and everyone as if they're potentially could get infected, but we just take some extra steps if we know people's status. We try to minimize the number of people that are around, and that's one of the unfortunate things. We don't want a lot of people whose COVID status we don't know, you know, being, being around and possibly exposing people. So I wanted to go clarify a little bit about what you mean by the special care. So are they kind of put into a separate area or are they kind of asked to wear masks throughout their stay? What does it look like for them? So everyone's asked to wear a mask throughout their stay with the exception of moms that are known to be negative. You know, support people wear a mask. All of the clinicians wear a mask. All of the, the environmental workers and everybody else that works in the hospital wears a mask. And we really pay attention to the spacing in that we try to make sure that we have single occupancy spaces. So we have really made efforts to minimize doubling up in postpartum rooms. And almost all of our moms, almost all of the time now have a single room. So really the only thing if you test positive that's different is probably people will wear a gown a little bit more religiously when they come in to see you. A little yellow cloth gown. They might be a little bit more careful about wearing eye covering. But in general, everyone treats everybody as precious individuals. And we try to make sure that no one that is infected infects someone else and no one that isn't infected gets infected by someone else. So we just make tremendous efforts to keep everyone as safe as possible. Right. If you do test positive, do you have to wear a mask while you are giving birth? No, but everybody in the room will. And we'll try to minimize the number of people that are close to you because we're trying to keep everyone safe. Everyone's got their own families at home and we want to just keep everyone as healthy as they can so we can continue to take care of our patients and take care of each other. Right. And to kind of add to more education for folks about if you do test positive while you are giving birth or around the time you are giving birth, are we still promoting rooming in skin to skin and breastfeeding for those moms too? We are. We are. It's an option. If you are positive, can choose to have your baby stay in the nursery and not with you. But the reality is, is that you're going to be in contact with your baby and we want you to be in contact with your baby. So we really just spend the time educating our patients about personal hygiene, making sure they wash their hands, if necessary, wear a glove, wear a mask when they're in contact with their baby. So usually in most cases, the babies will actually still room in with the moms but they'll be in a, in a bassinet or kind of a, an isolation or isolate so that they get less exposure. But moms still breastfeed. They wash their hands well. They wear a mask. Babies are usually six feet away from the moms when they're not breastfeeding, but there's, there's no reason that you can't hug and love your baby like you would in any situation. And they're still able to have natural births, right? Even if you test positive. Oh, of course. Yeah, no, we still go by all the rules we always go by. We try to minimize cesarean deliveries. Our goal is a safe vaginal delivery. And patients that need cesarean deliveries have a cesarean delivery as well. But that doesn't really change our management. Right, I see. I really thought the what you, we were talking about, about birth being medicalized and people kind of thinking, you know what, maybe it is a good time for me to have like a natural at-home birth, or maybe it is a good time for me to go to a birthing center instead of a hospital because that might be more risky. So what are your thoughts on that? I think maybe the situation has changed a little bit now that we have testing available, but my opinion is if you don't know your 
COVID or your SARS-CoV-2 viral status, I would strongly recommend giving birth in a hospital where there are support, there's support for you if you need it. Um, if you know your status, maybe the argument is a little bit weaker, but you have to remember, Faith, that we don't medicalize childbirth at St. Barnabas. I can't really speak for other places. I've been here for over 20 years. The majority of our births are done by midwives. And I would say that the midwife culture, the midwifery culture has had more effect on our physicians than the medicalized culture has on our midwives. Our physicians practice like midwives. We have a low C-section rate. We encourage patients moving around, you know, all of the midwifery kind of childbirth things, we are totally in support of. Here at St. Barnabas, you know, I could say, you know, about ourselves, we don't do medicalized childbirth. That's a really good point. And I think very comforting for our audience to hear for sure. There is a lot of uproar and a lot of confusion around just like, you know, how do we make sure that our moms are being taken care of, are supported, feel safe, but also, you know, keeping in mind that we've heard in the news that the hospital has been a risky place to be. And, you know, you don't go there unless you have to. So, yeah, I guess that's a point to kind of consider. A piece of advice, and, and it was the same advice as early on. Is, listen, labor and delivery is no more high risk for infection than any place else. Again, I mean, now we even know the status of our patients. But I would try to avoid, you know, being in a busy place like an emergency room, just like I try to avoid going to a basketball game or going to a concert. And I think that's a good point is make sure that you're in touch with your prenatal care providers. Don't run to the emergency room if you don't have to. Get in touch with them and see if it's something that requires you to go to the hospital. But relatively speaking, labor and delivery is a pretty safe place. Again, you know, we're trying to keep people in single occupancy. We have a triage room, but we're moving people around so that they're never really close to another patient. And, and again, we're minimizing the presence of support people to the extent that we can and that's comfortable and reasonable. And given the policies, you know, we have uh, minimized it, right? So there's only one support person. Am I correct? Yeah, so we've gone through a couple different phases. It's a challenge. At one point, we didn't allow any support people for a really brief period of time because everybody really just didn't know how to manage it. At this point, we allow one healthy support person. Optimally, that support person is negative. We actually screen for symptoms. We screen for their personal exposure. We check their temperature once every shift. We instruct them how to make sure that they wash their hands. A lot of times we'll actually encourage patients, if they are positive, to consider having a support person that doesn't live with them there. And the reason why is because in all likelihood, the people that they live with are very high risk of having been infected as well. And having another person there that has the virus just exposes everyone else, other patients, other healthcare workers, and other babies. So we do encourage a support person from outside of the home, you know, it could be your mom or or sister or brother or whomever that lives someplace else to be the support person, then they would wear a mask and undergo all the precautions. Oh, I see. That's actually a really good point. And I think would be very helpful for our audience about, you know, having a support person that's outside of the home to help decrease transmission. I, I just think it's really important for everyone to be on their toes and to know that, you know, even with their best intentions, they're potentially a, a risk factor. So again, that's why we ask our support people to stay in the room with the mom, to wear a mask themselves the entire time, to wash their hands if, 
and wash the bathroom and the door handles after they touch them. We do ask our support person to stay for the entire duration. So we really encourage them to stay from when they arrive until they decide to go home. It's human nature that the more you're around, the less you think about these things and the more risk there is that you might inadvertently infect somebody or get infected yourself. Right. Yeah. I think that that's like something that adds to the fear and concern that people have is that, you know, we all have a responsibility to protect ourselves, but also all of our actions and our decisions like kind of impact the people around us. And our littlest patients, our newborns are like very vulnerable. They're so precious and we want to make sure they're okay. And I think that especially for like the birth justice community, the limitations on support people have been a shock, something that has, you know, made them upset. But I think the medical community, especially people like you that are advocating for our patients to have support, are just saying, you know, we want our support people there, but we just have to take the right precautions. And especially within the Black and Brown and Latino community, there have been some instances of being um, neglected or, you know, our voices not being heard or our pain not taken seriously. So uh, having a support person or a doula or, you know, having that sense of community while you're birthing has always been a safe haven. So not having that is a huge shock, I think. So how is St. Barnabas looking to be more creative, I guess, in supporting our patients? I think you just made some really good points and I really appreciate all those things you said. And, you know, I think it's really important that our patients remember that our goals, you know, we've done everything we can to try to expand the amount of time our, our patients support people can stay. You know, we have these great beds for our patients to stay or for our support people to stay during the postpartum period. And we've always encouraged multiple support people in other situations. But right now, it's just the time to balance the risk and benefit. I don't want to um, minimize the importance of having a support person there and, and having your family members and their loved ones around you during an important time. But sometimes there are sacrifices on both sides. So we're, we're just trying to find the balance and we're trying to educate our patients and their support people so they make the best decisions for themselves and for, and for their community, including people that are here to try to provide their health care. One of the things that we've done is we're really encouraging patients to utilize telehealth. So we're doing what I call virtual support childbirth. One of the first things I did when we started considering what we're going to do with the surgeon COVID infections, got online and, uh, and I purchased some kind of selfie easels in order to put people's phones on them. And we even bought a tablet so that we have a tablet available. So if someone wants to decides that that for their own personal reasons, they don't want to have the support person around. They're concerned about the support person's health, concerned about other people's health. And and we have so many unclear variables. What we do is we set people up on YouTube or on WhatsApp or on FaceTime, or we have a whole variety of, of video teleconferencing tools that we can use. And that way you can have as many people as you want there for your delivery. It's basically everything except for the touch and the smell. You know, you can have multiple family members connected and they can talk you through childbirth and help you push and and hold your hand virtually during the entire time. And we really encourage people to take advantage of that, try to make it as special of an experience as we possibly can. And I think it could really replicate what we fortunately might choose to give up because of the current situation. And we have some experience with this as well. We used to do it, um, or we still do it, with patients that have family members overseas and not everyone 
has a family member that can get off work or a support person that can get off work. Um, and sometimes people have support people that are in the military or traveling abroad or live abroad. And we've done this before. We've connected them virtually to the childbirth experience and it can be just as special or almost as special. That's a really good point to remind folks that, you know, this isn't like necessarily the, a new phenomenon in that like we have utilized like Zoom or FaceTime or things where we can um, video conference in in order to get support. I think that a lot of people feel or I guess the sense of disappointment around, you know, I can't have as many people as I want or I wasn't able to have my baby shower or I can't have, you know, my neighbor or my friends come visit me in the hospital and that being disappointing because it takes a village to raise a child. So I feel like they want their village. But I love what you said about being able to have as many people as you want in the room and reminding people of the positive parts of that. Yeah, we can't always fit a village in the room, but we can fit. <laughs> right. And actually, that's great because if you zoomed in or something or did video conferencing, you could have 100 people in there if you really wanted to. <laughs> We've definitely had great cases where the patients are pushing and the, the partner's going, one, two, three, four, push, you know, over the phone. They don't have to be right there physically. They can be there just as close. Right. Yeah. And I'm sure like our nurses are amazing at St. Barnabas and they're all there like holding your hand, like supporting you through it for sure. Absolutely. Right. I know that we can't ignore the disappointment that people are feeling about it or even their anger or upset about like not having their support people. I think that it's also a shock for you and your staff as well, because like we want that for them. We want them to be able to have people there that can hold their hand. But I know that, you know, we're making a way. So how do you think with the telehealth happening now, I know that, you know, the appointments leading up to labor and delivery, as well as the postpartum will probably be all telehealth. Do you think that that will limit the impact of quality care that can be given now, especially given, you know, recent stories in the media about, you know, moms kind of questioning telehealth now? I think actually, Faith, in many ways, we can be more available than we could be when we weren't virtual. I'm getting in touch with patients that, like I said, never had time to make it. We're having more compliance with our visits. And we're really, again, trying to do just as many visits. Any place or any time where we need to touch a patient or we need to collect a specimen, we need to feel their belly, we're doing that. We're not canceling those visits. But, you know, with the telehealth, I mean, we're looking each other's in, in the eyes. I get to see people's houses and look at the paintings on their wall and see their dogs and their siblings or their other children. It's been a transformational experience. You know, I think it's really important that, that our patients are aware that we're trying to do everything the same as we did before. It's just in a different place. Right. That's true. I think that, you know, people feel a fear about, you know, well, what if they'll miss something or like, what if there was something that like, I didn't even notice was like a concern. Are there any cases, or could you talk us through a little bit when it would be like necessary for a person to come in versus, you know, just doing it over the phone or video conferencing? Yeah, we've, we've been pretty strategic about it. So, you know, the goal has always been to have about 12 or 14 visits during the entire course of prenatal care. And we still strive for that. But now we've basically narrowed it to about four face-to-face encounters with the other eight or 10 being virtual and an ultrasound. So you're still getting your ultrasound and we have a lot of technology that we'd already been using, 
We have a platform called Tricify, where we can actually send the ultrasound pictures right to people's mobile phones. And then you can share it using social media with whomever you want or blow it up as large as you'd like. So we're still using those technologies and even increasing them. So when you come for your ultrasound, you might not be able to have as many people there, but you could send them all the pictures and they're really high quality. We do our initial typically about 12 weeks and we're doing, we're collecting specimens, we're feeling your belly, we're checking the shape and size of your uterus and all the rest and doing typical physical exam. We're prescribing blood pressure cuffs for all of our patients who are able to check the blood pressure. And our patients are either entering that into another platform we use called Baby Scripts, and then we can check it remotely, or they're checking it at the time of our telehealth audiovisual encounter. So we're still able to do that. We'd send patients in any case a lot of times to another location to draw their blood. So you're still getting your blood drawn. The labs are cooperating with us and with the patients really well. Um, In many cases, the patients can wait in their car and get called in when it's time to have their blood drawn and they're not spending time in a waiting area unnecessarily. So we're basically seeing patients, you know, early in the pregnancy, somewhere in the middle, and then about two times at the end. And if we need to see people for another visit, we definitely still do. Our MFM services are still available in the same way that they were. Some of them are virtual also, but when we need to see a person face-to-face, we do. That's awesome. And I also love that you guys are prescribing the blood pressure cuffs too. It allows moms to be more proactive in their prenatal care. And it also allows them to have a lot more autonomy. They can ask more questions. They're way more in tune with their health. And I love that you guys are more available because you're not like running from room to room or going to multiple places. You're able to spend a little bit more time with your patients. And I think that's really comforting for them to hear that you guys are there, you're available, you can call, you can video chat. There are resources that you can get at the pharmacy. You can get a thermometer, you can get your blood pressure cuff. Are there any other things that you would recommend moms to just like have at home during their pregnancy? I think you just need to be comfortable. Make sure that you have a good Wi-Fi connections so that the visits are as pleasant and enjoyable as they can be, or you're connected to some data, you have a good phone. It's, it doesn't have to be a top of the line, but but at least up to date. We try a couple different applications. So if one thing doesn't work, we try another. And if we can't get in touch, we have a phone conversation, but it's always so much nicer if we can see people face-to-face and they can see us. I I also want to mention again, the baby scripts. We have this great application that we've been using for a little bit over a year now, but we're using it even more profoundly. And that's, it's called baby scripts. And we put up content so you can go through it and check all different kinds of information on it. And we pass on information and we can text you and send out blasts about what to do to keep yourself safe or just general advice. And it's really super. And again, that's what we're using for our blood pressure monitoring. For our diabetic patients, we're using a slightly different system called Datos, which we get our patients a glucose monitor that has Bluetooth and they check their glucose and it goes right into their phone. And that's available to us immediately. And And it actually tells the patient, ah, that's a little bit high. Why don't you check it again? Or that's a little bit low. Why don't you take a little snack? And that way we can control their glucose um, even better than we could before. There's some really good things that are coming out of this. We're learning how to use technology in a more effective way. and, And I think we're ending up more connected to our patients, not less connected. That's awesome. That's a really good point. And Baby Scripts is amazing because it's like a one-stop shop kind of thing. You can get everything. You can get information from you, like SBH, but then also you can get a lot of like general information and tips and stuff like that. So that's really cool. 
I want to shift gears a little bit and talk about postpartum care and how mothers can best protect themselves and their infants. As we know, a lot of communities of color are being hard hit by COVID-19. Many minorities are unfortunately having to go into work and they're coming in and out of the house. We are having people that also are unfortunately, you know, they're on our front lines and, you know, things like that. So how can we best prepare moms to protect themselves and their infants? Really good questions. I think I heard, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, it's my understanding that Healthcare is one of the largest employers in the Bronx. So yeah, I mean, a lot of our patients do what we do. They work with us at St. Barnabas Hospital and we haven't stopped working. We're working right through it. So what's really important is uh, to not become complacent, I think. It's important for us to continue to wear those masks, to continue to social distance, just try to remain aware. And that's the most important thing when you're in the labor and delivery unit. If you're at home, make sure that you wash your hands before you touch your face. I mean, we've heard it all, but try not to slip. Just be careful. You know, when you walk in the house, the first thing I will do is wash my hands. If I've been outside of my office, my, my wife will say, hey, get you know, change your clothes. Some people will make sure they take a shower when they get home. But it, what's really important is just making sure you're wearing a mask. People around you are wearing a mask and you're keeping that distancing. And the same thing with your baby. And I think here again is one of the opportunities that luckily this is happening during an era where we have technology. I mean, it would have been so much worse if we didn't have Zoom and we didn't have FaceTime and everything else. Because, yeah, you want to hang out in the playground with other moms and it's a little bit more difficult to do that. But at least, you know, you should be using your technology to stay connected, to stay connected to your family and your loved ones and your friends and just take the precautions that are necessary to keep yourself and your baby as healthy as you can. Would you advise that moms and their infants kind of um, quarantine in the home? Or is it kind of once you have been interacting with the folks that live with you, it's okay if they're interacting with you and your baby? I guess I'd have to say if your family members are continually being exposed and potentially getting infected, you probably want to keep a little more distance. I wouldn't say that it's necessary to quarantine and scroll yourself away in a closet or a room. I mean, you, you have to you know, open up the windows and see the, see the sun and see your loved ones. Uh, just be careful. Just be careful. Right. Yeah. So it sounds like moms should just follow the same protocols that everybody else does in order to stay safe. So it's the 20 seconds of hand washing. It's the, you know, if you go out, making sure you're extra precautious about, you know, changing your clothes before you touch the baby or things like that. And it is okay if you're interacting with people in your home. I think some people may like, you know, want to kind of like hide in a little hole with their baby, but you're right, you know, getting a little bit of fresh air, opening the window, or maybe if you have a backyard or or something that you can kind of get some fresh air would be nice because, you know, I'm also thinking about the mental health of these mothers too. Um, and having a new baby is not easy given everything else on top of it. So I can only imagine the stress. I agree. It's interesting. You know, when, when we had my two kids, we talked about having a baby bubble. I don't know if that's still a term that people use. And we wanted to spend the time just me and my wife and our baby and not have family members just for 14 days. I think it, it might be a, a Native American tradition or something. We wanted to be just with our baby and have bonding time. And, you know, in some ways, you know, if nothing else, COVID is that bonding time. It's the time to be with your family and be with your new baby and not have all the 
all the busyness around you. If we look at it that way, it's a great time to connect with your baby and with the other members of your family and your other kids and whoever else you're you're living with. That's true. I feel like though the home has become like everything. It's become the office, the school, your bedroom, it's everything. So I can imagine moms feeling maybe even a little more overwhelmed with maybe their four and like eight year old doing homeschooling. And then on top of that, you know, maybe they're working remotely a little bit still, or if their partner's kind of going in and out, and that might be a little bit more stressful. But I agree with you, you know, not to add any more anxiety to them, just reminding them to take the same precautions as the general public um, is a really good thing. I guess like I can't shake the idea in my head about what I heard. I think it was from the Harvard Review about like, quote unquote, the color of COVID and how um, minority communities are seriously being hit so hard. And especially because a lot of our central workers and unfortunately some of the lower paid workers are women, people of color, and they have to kind of go in and out of the house. So that just adds to the stress. And, you know, with a new baby, I can just see that being just like going crazy, you know? I hear you. I hear you. And I, I agree. It's really unfortunate. Some people, you know, have to go to work and they and they don't feel comfortable doing it. And yeah, I, I would like to see things be different, but I guess we have to struggle with the reality that we face. So how can moms take care of themselves after giving birth? You know, I wanted to mention one thing that just occurred to me in terms of support, both during the prenatal and postpartum period. We actually just partnered with a program where there are doulas that are providing free chat services to our patients. So that's something that, uh, that, some, that our patients can, can reach out um, and take advantage of. Um, it's called Zyacare. And... And it's amazing. It, it really is free. I mean, they offer some classes that cost a small amount of money if you want to do it. But the chat services are like 24-7 and they're with trained doulas and you can ask them whatever you want. They can be there you know, to support you. And for that question that you forgot to ask at your last face-to-face or virtual encounter, and you can just pick up the phone and, and send them a text and they'll, they'll give you some good, you know, well-supported advice. And we actually connected it with baby scripts. So when you sign on to baby scripts, there's an easy link to get onto Zyacare and enroll in that if you want. I encourage our patients to take advantage of that because there's never too much support. We've got some really great new programming. I'm not sure if our listeners are aware, but we're on the edge of opening our brand new wellness center. And we've already got some programming starting there. And I think partially because of the virtual nature of healthcare right now, we can offer an advanced viewing. So part of part of what's going on in the wellness center is there's going to be a, a comprehensive women's health center with women's imaging. There's going to be a pediatric center and an urgent care center in a brand new location that's absolutely gorgeous. But on the second floor, there's a wellness kitchen where we're going to be providing services to teach people in our community how to cook more healthy food. And there's also a gym that's going to have all kinds of exercise programs for people to maintain healthier lives and just maintain their well-being with meditation and yoga and all kinds of other things. But already we have some programming and I'm sure you can put the link there. There's some video vignettes of how to cook different healthy foods. And there's also some similar vignettes about different exercises you can do at home. And I think our listeners should to take advantage of that. I know that some of my midwives and physicians have already cooked some of the recipes that are on those webinars. 
Yeah, that's awesome. We're definitely going to be including the link to that. We have a YouTube channel of simple recipes um, that can be done at home, even with things that some common things that you would have in your home. You could make like bread or like sauces or stuff like that in a healthy way. So we'll definitely add that resource. Well, thank you so much, Dr. Rosing, for joining us on SBH Bronx Health Talk. Again, for more information on our OBGYN services at SBH Health System, please visit sbhny.org or call to make an appointment, a virtual one, at 718-960-3730. Thank you again for joining us. Thank you very much, Faith.